I got something for you. What's that? Oh, oh, presents. <gasps> oh, Batman Returns oh cards. Oh, oh wow. my gosh. I'm not gonna you don't even, have that. I don't that. even know if I want to open them. Dustin does. Oh, I do. I, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll open mine on mic. They're worth, they're worth so much more of the closed. Yeah, I don't know about that. I, I, I'm pretty sure they're not. Oh, are these are these Batman Returns tops trading cards worthless? All yeah, right. I'm pretty sure. I don't know. If they're worth anything, I'm going to make a stack of cash because i got like oh my 10 okay. more cash. Gosh. Well, I'll just go ahead and open it then since we have maybe our new soundboard right over there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you've ever been to the Goodwill uh, Wholesale Center downtown. Um which is just a giant warehouse floor filled with bins of goods that you buy per weight. Uh, I have heard of this. I, I went in there in the bins and I found like 14 packs of these tops stadium club, super premium movie cards from the film Batman returns. So, well, I have one Batman <laughs> that's gotta be the most valuable card. The, the Batman. The Batman. I've got something with Penguin on it, but it's like a scene from the film, I think. Yeah. There's a sort of a Danny DeVito behind the scenes. Does it have his thing. stats on it? No, nothing like that. And then I've got a Catwoman scene. Yeah, the, the cars don't really... I mean, the part of the thing is they don't make a lot of sense, right? Yeah. I have not one, not two... But three cards that feature Tim Burton wearing a beret. <laughs> I have a in penguin. You, in case you ever wondered what his uh, wardrobe was like on set for that movie. And a Michael a Goff uh-huh. as Alfred. Oh, that's cool. I've got an Alfred. I've got two. Is he wearing a headset? Uh, uh, Burton? No, Goff. Oh, or Goff. Alfred. No, not in the one that I have. Uh, no, he's just. Got, he's oh, he's just... got Catwoman on top of Batman? Mm-hmm, I do. Ooh, that's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, Goff is just sort of vibing by the, uh, the Bat computer in the one that I have. Oh, that's fun. I've got two very good penguin ones. Arthur, these are what a great game. I even get. have a Bruce Wayne. <laughs> um, oh, and these a lot of these are double sided, I see now. Yeah, there's a yeah. little bit of information on the back, I think. Yeah, like a little scene explanation thing is what they do. I have um probably fifty of the original Batman movie cards at my oh, yeah? house. Yeah. Well there you go. So that's very, very fun. I have a film cell from a... The bat, it's just the bat signal in Batman Forever. Oh, really? So, yeah, it's a couple of film cells that I picked up one time. That's fun. Yeah. So now Dustin and I are richer in Batman memorabilia. There you go. Something you never knew you needed. A little, little uh, merchandise corner. I did 30 know. year old cards. Did not they know. feel 30 years old. They, there is a weird texture of state. They've been stuck in this pack together for 30 years, that yearning, was, yearning the, to break free. The gum disintegrated and just well, kind of molded. Yeah. I would like to point out they are in mint condition. There's no boxing on the edges. And, uh, God, we're not going to Dustin's going to get these all graded. Hey, guys. Hi. Welcome to the Good Trash Genre Cast, where a bunch of people gather around a table. <laughs> and go to my just, eBay store. <laughs> you can check me out on Etsy. <laughs> <laughs> the Good Trash Crafting Club over there. Um, yes, indeed, though. Hello, and welcome again to the Good Trash Undercast, where normally we gather around a table and discuss the films you'll never discuss the film today's course. This week, we have a Patreon pick from a friend of the show and friend in real life, Mr. Brigham Cole. Although this could still be a film that you would never discuss in a film studies course. Correct. but Certainly one I'd never heard of before. That's for darn sure. Oddly, uh, since the it's Golden a... Golden Globe winning. I was going to say, multiple nominations, one for screenplay, and uh, I'm over here like a 
Maroon. Never heard of this. Well, thing. it was a little released in the states because of its. I mean, how the hell do you sell this? Movie? I don't know. Yeah, um, we're talking about the ninth configuration, written directed by Mister Peter Blatty, William Peter Blatty, and co-starring and co-starring. He's in it. But yes, as you've said, Dustin, this is uh, we always discuss films you wouldn't discuss on a film studies course on this show. Well, not always. When we feel like cheating, we cheat, uh-huh. and when our uh, patrons make us cheat, we cheat. But again, I think this is firmly within. The realm of cinema we usually talk about. Yeah, this is this is actually um high level, I think, in the in the level of good trash as being just a trashy, silly genre movie, but also things going on. Sure. Which sure. is kind of what we look for here. So um thanks for that, Brigham. Oh, by the way, I'm still Dustin. I am still Arthur. I am still Dalton. And between this movie and Malignant, I'm saying no ho- no hospitals and castles. Don't do it. Uh, why would you do that? Yeah, don't don't put your hospital in the castle. No uh, house on the haunted hills. No, 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 sir. Ouch. No, I knew there had to be at least another one that I wasn't thinking of. Yeah, Deuces one out. I think of especially malignant because it's got that kind of big gothic. <laughs> the opening 50s of malignant. Campy. I thought about the opening of malignant as soon as this movie started. I just started laughing. Such a good movie with the country music. Uh, well, sorry. I guess when they we first, <laughs> I forgot about the weird country music opening. Yeah, I did. <laughs> could you go see for malignant? That. I did not see Malignant. No. Buddy, you but gotta I, but see I, Malignant. I knew Malignant did not have a long country music montage at the front of it. No. You would be surprised that it could actually have a long <laughs> country music montage in it. It could. No, I, mean, I, would, I would be there for it, I think. No, just but some it was, really good... The fact that you said that I thought you were talking about Malignant tells you what kind of movie <laughs> Malignant is. It's a uh, masterpiece. It is. It is... It is what it is. is what <laughs> It is a work of stunning vision that I am sure we'll talk about on the show at some point some in the next um, few years or so. But yeah, a lot. Uh, also, some some good castle photography going yes. on. Malignant and, and a, lot, a lot of those guys. Um, but anyway, a before lot we of get, those guys be, in this movie, before we get into all that though, I don't want to tell the listener what they're tuning in for no. in case they have not seen this film that is forty one years old. From 1980, uh, we are not going to spoil the film at first if you have not caught up with it. And if you're like us, you haven't caught up with it. Uh, so this is how you find out whether or not you want to go ahead and watch it. You listen to the first part of the show, which will have synopsis, quick thumbs up, thumbs down reviews from us. We'll have some expanding the syllabus stuff where we play a game, which might involve some gentle spoilers, more likely of other films than of this film, but maybe some gentle spoilers. And then finally we get down to business, and that's when you know whether or not you want to bother watching the movie, but before you hear our thematic and philosophical musings on the film The Ninth Circle. Um, or Ninth Configuration. Ninth Circle would be in hell. Yes. I uh, think... No, The Ninth Gate is the movie that I was thinking of. There isn't a movie called The Ninth Circle, as far as I know. Um, yeah. And are there... But are there nine circles? There are nine circles in hell. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I'm trying to remember my Dante now. Um, yeah, you would know better than I would. <laughs> I was like, I had to... <laughs> I say, you, you had to do a whole thing with him. My brain tried to break there. Uh, but anyway... That's what we know. That's what we're going to do. So with that, um, I guess we'll start with that synopsis. Arthur, delight us. Recruited to aid in the recovery of a group of institutionalized soldiers, Colonel Kane has a series of extended discussions to see if they are feigning mental illness or if something else is driving their disturbing behavior. That's right. It's uh, released in 1980, but it takes place in the early 70s in the waning days of the Vietnam War. Uh and yeah, we've got Stacy Keach, who has always looked like an old man. Uh, so somehow Correct. looking as old as he's ever looked in this movie, he couldn't be older than what forty in this, maybe, and probably close to like thirty-five. If Dude was... looks old already in an incredible way. Yeah, he absolutely yeah, does. He's, he shows up to yeah, as Arthur said, suss out who's faking and who's not. Yeah, when did it come out? Four eighty. Eighty. Yeah. Yeah. So he was forty. Thirty-nine. Okay. Ish. This is the film. Is what if what if one over the cuckoo's nest was about mental illness? 
you're saying that One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest is not about mental illness. No, it's not. Is it about Ken Kesey it's, just doing acid? It's about rebellion and freedom. Ah, it's Ken Kesey doing acid. Well, that's a way to express freedom, I suppose, if you're Ken Kesey. Um, well, exactly. Uh, uh, but weirdly, both, you know, MK Ultra adjacent. Uh, yeah. Both uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and, I guess, this movie a little bit. A little bit, yeah. Just a, just a touch. Adjacent, yeah. I think yeah. adjacent is the best place to situate it. So, Well, Dustin, it looks like you're highest on the clash meter so that breaks any first-time watching ties. I think, you, uh, what did you think of the ninth <laughs> configuration? We just played a fun board game right before we recorded called Campy Campy Creatures. I wanted to have another word in there. And uh, there is a uh, tiebreaker board. Dustin stole the top of the tiebreaker meter. And we've all just now seen this for the first time. Yeah, Dustin, one of the rare times I think this has ever happened. You're going first. I am going to go first. What did you think of William Peter Blatty's Oh, how much fun is this movie? Okay, there are bits of this movie that are so very sentimental so very sensational so very soap opera 1980s days of our lives moments of reflection in cue softly played piano arpeggios and looking out a window into the rain or looking at you know a locket of a necklace for memory's sake or whatever so there 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 are directional bits in this film that are heavy-handed ham-handed and uh really clumsy i want i want to be very clear here about that and so i there's a lot of that stuff i don't love at all there are some acting choices and some performance directions i'm looking especially at a group of bikers in a bar that I kind of love what the bikers are doing. It's weird, but I the choices are being made. And I was I was kind of on board with it. No, okay. Well, I'm I'm not so I'm not quite as on board Fair. W- with that. I think there are some weird acting choices in this movie though. Um, but that all being said, once we get through those little pieces there that kind of drove me a little batty, um, the movie itself in terms of its screenplay, in terms of its thematics, it's it, this movie is one of those movies where you're going to use Vietnam and perhaps post-traumatic stress syndrome or whatever else is going on as simply just a thing that we know is a cultural touchstone and then really not talk about any of that at all. It's a way of using something that's familiar to explore a really different set of questions, I think. See also Jacob's Ladder, which, unless I'm mistaken, also a Brigham uh, Patreon pick? Or did we just do Jacob's Ladder because it was a cool movie? I think we may have just done it, but I think Brigham's big on that. I can't remember. There can't was a tie there, I think, but I don't remember if he picked that or not. Yeah, I don't remember either. But anyway, I, I did just, think of that immediately. Yeah. Almost immediately, though. But yeah, this movie's not about the war, but it's about using the using the war as an easy cipher from which mm-hmm. we can begin to wrestle with some other questions about bigger, bigger human philosophical issues. And uh, for that, I'm there for it. I, I Stacey Keach is great. Uh, Jason... What's his bucket? Miller. Miller. Um, coming back from The Exorcist uh, is a lot of fun. Seeing Herschel Green from The uh, Walking Dead as a young man playing our astronaut is also very much fun. It was a, there's a, Those years have been kind because I can recognize them, but they're so far away from one another, those two performances, that it took me a hot minute to figure Same. out where I knew I this guy from. I could not clock Scott Wilson for a while. Yeah. And I eventually was like... I- you know, gave the movie a pause, and I was like, "All right, let's take a let's play, take a gander at these guys, and why why all these guys look so familiar?" And yeah, that was that very very fun to see him uh, in a young performance. Yeah, um, and 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 they're all great. They're all doing their job. They're all sure. they're all working really well. Again, I I think the the idea of putting on a Shakespeare play in a um, mental hospital performed by dogs. 
Um, and you know, get me a Pekingese to play Laertes. <laughs> <laughs> is it yeah? Is it racist to have a Great Dane play Hamlet? They don't, they don't ever say it that way, but he starts to go, <laughs> would people say something if I had a Great Dane? Oh, like, so yeah. funny. Pretty good bit. Yeah. Um, and and the, the, the Pooley, who is uh, Sir Lawrence Olivier, is uh, very, very fun. So, um, yeah, I, I, there's a lot to like about it. I, I think musically, it is deficient. I think at times there are some acting and definitely some direction choices that are, again, quite clumsy. But otherwise, it's a really, really endearing movie that I really enjoyed quite a bit to watch so that's my verdict i go to you first or second arthur um i think that uh, one of the things i think kind of ties into some of the stuff you're hitting at and what we know about it is, is it is a feels like a super trashy movie with very lofty aspirations mm. mm-hmm. and i think there's something interesting about that because there are moments where it does feel very philosophical and it's waxing poetic about these things uh, and then you have that bar fight uh which is, feels like it's from a different movie in some ways but um I don't know that the acting in that moment it feels more or less consistent, inconsistent with what proceeds because some of the uh, patients at the castle also can get pretty over the top. Yeah, people are going big. Um, but uh, I, I, I want to look at this. So, so film critic Mark Kermode is a pretty big fan of this, and he says something yeah. that I think is a is a good. A way to look at this. He uh, did an intro for like the uh, the first DVD edition. Of well, he did a commentary. It was it was a whole commentary yeah. track. Yeah, oh. yeah. Your guy Mark yeah. Kermode, Dustin is is big on this movie. I it like is, Kermode. Yeah. I tend to like what he likes. It's so. one of his favorite movies. Yeah, uh, but he says in a little quote here, um, pulled from a larger thing, that uh, Blatty directs like a man with no understanding of or interest in the supposed limits of mainstream movie making. And I think that wraps up exactly what this thing is. That's a really good quote. Um, I I really like the moments best where it's just resting in the hospital and we're seeing these people do crazy things like uh, the dog Shakespeare uh, bit, which is, is great. I laugh a lot in those moments. Uh, but there's a lot of just talking, and I really want it to kind of lead somewhere. So I, I'm wanting it to move forward and, and try to figure out what's happening here. Um, and when things come to fruition or come to light, it's like, okay, maybe. So I don't – overarching story, I don't know if I'm a huge fan on, but I, I like some of those things that it's doing. I think it, I, I think I like it a little more than um, The Exorcist Three, which I wasn't a huge fan of to begin with. Uh, this feels, I think, just a little more consistent tonally throughout. I don't know where that's coming from, but um, there's something about this, I think, that works a little better for me. I mean, some of those surreal moments from The Exorcist 3 were the things I kind of took, you know, the, uh, what is it, the, the dream at the party, and we see, like, cameos from different athletes and stuff, like random, you know, Fabio, I think, is in there, and then, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, not Charles Barkley, but what some basketball players yeah, in there yeah i can't remember i wish i could but yeah we talked a lot on that episode about the very very weird dream sequence in that movie and this really i feel like doubles down into that because there is this idea of what's happening what's real maybe what's not who's sincere who's not and that's kind of the question that kane is facing when he arrives is some of these people might be faking it some of these people may be severely um crippled with mental health issues and so he's trying to parse that out Um, and so, you know, those, those moments where there's a lot of philosophical discussion back and forth don't always work for me. Um, but just kind of resting in the the quiet moments of the hospital where the, uh, extras kind of get to go all out and do silly stuff is a lot of fun. 
Um, we got uh, Moses Gunn running around in not Superman outfit. Yeah. Because he can't put the S on his chest, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, With but, a giant uh, N instead. What's his first yeah. name? Is uh, uh, Nandum? Something like that. Uh, they, they uh, Yeah, but I uh, there's... Yeah, his also major name act. Namak, thank so, you. So yeah, Namak. Um, yeah, there's also Robert Loggia. Speaking of uh, <laughs> uh, Namak, Namak also observes Ro- Robert Loggia doing an Al Jolson routine at one point. Mm-hmm. And when I say doing an Al Jolson routine, I mean full all the routine. race, all the racist stuff you would assume would be in an Al Jolson routine. <laughs> full Ooh. blackface. Yeah, really, uh, really not a, not something I was prepared for in the opening minutes of this movie. So by and large, uh, Pops, I, I, I'm pretty middle of the road on this. There are things I like about it, but I'm not necessarily in love with it. Um, and that's where I'm at. Dalton, why don't you take us home on this part of the show? You know, I think I'm I'm pretty similarly aligned with you, Arthur. Uh, although I like Exorcist 3 a lot more than you did. I, you know, I think that film is a kind of great hidden gem. I, I like this okay. I'm right there with you. I think you both buried the lead by not mentioning this movie has the image of a, a, crucifix, a crucifixion on the moon. Oh, the 2001 uh, yeah, obelisk, baby. but it's the crucifixion. Yeah, that was a moment where I was like, okay, all right. Let's start to sort of air guitar for the movie. Yeah. I was like, okay, this goes. This, this kicks ass. Uh, that's sort of how I felt about this whole movie. I, I, I was sort of more or less on board throughout. But as you said, Arthur, there is a lot of talking that is not always not always particularly funny and not always particularly philosophically interesting. And that seems to be this movie's two primary concerns is, is laughter and, and, you know, kind of thought provoking conversations and not every conversation kind of fits in either of those two camps. Mm-hmm. And so you're, you're kind of desperate for some scenes to move things on a little bit more. It's it's a long two hours. But again, I, I am with you, Arthur. I think more or less I'm, I'm sort of on board with it. I think the, the thing that I really enjoy about it is it is a, it's a life is for living movie without doing any of the saccharine stuff. We usually take those kinds of movies to task for. And I yeah. think that, that, that really works in this film's favor. Uh, I don't like the editing. I think the editing is sort of clunky. In a way that makes the, especially the early goings uh, on, you know, when they're kind of establishing new character, you know, Stacey Keach is coming in and getting to know all these characters. A lot of those scenes kind of feel stapled together in a, in a disjointed way. And again, pacing wise, I feel like there's there's something lacking here. So, But I also know that there's been a lot of cuts redone to this movie. I think there's at least Kermode said in uh, an interview that I watched or a, a little blurb about the movie he had recorded. Uh, I saw uh, he had said he's seen four different versions of the ninth configuration. So Whoa. I'm not quite sure which version we saw, but uh, it, you know, it, there's things that could probably be left off. I am really on board with the weird stuff that happens in the last half of this movie. Um, I think I might be more on board with the whole bar sequence than you two are. Uh, Cause it really, this is a doodly dudes movie about dudes. Uh, and, and for where this ends up going, for that bar sequence to be where this film ends up, you know, having its major action climax be, it's that that was sort of a piece that kind of like helped me unlock this movie, I guess. Is going there, both how big it gets there, uh, how tonally jarring it is compared to the rest of the movie. Um, I, I think it really does sort of underline uh, parts of the the earlier proceedings that kind of made me understand this movie a little bit better. I think. That was the thing. Uh, tonally, just like, what are we doing mm-hmm. here? Yeah. And I was like, this feels like they kind of had to get here to be able to go to where they want to take it. Yeah. But well, I, I like where it goes mm-hmm. with the characters involved. Gotcha. 
I don't think the fight itself looks great. But I, I kind of like it, but I see why you would say but that. But the character, one of the guy's wigs falls off when he gets tossed across the bar. Oh, really? I missed that. That's pretty um, funny. <laughs> but uh, pretty I, I, I like what it's doing with those two central characters. Yeah, okay. By yeah, the I, end of that scene. I'm all okay. for sitting in the bar and there being a fight. I just want all the dialogue and editing and choreography to be different. Interesting. <laughs> okay, all right. But we are all... We're I like all, the framework. Like, uh, yeah. We like, all like, like it for different things. Yeah, I, 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 I like where it's going narratively. I just don't like how they the, the, they plot us through. I think it's violence is very disjointed and jarring in a, in a way that works for me. Um, mm. Especially because, you know, this is a movie that spends a lot of time talking about the, the problem of evil in the world, right? As, as far mm. as like a, a theological talking point. Uh, addressing the problem of evil in the world. And, and evil feels palpable in, in that uh, that bar. Um, and, and when violence gets done, it, it's in this movie, or when we are shown flashbacks of violence, it is never cool. It mm-hmm. sucks real bad. <laughs> and I, I appreciate this movie's commitment to, uh, to showing violence uh, as not a great thing. So, you know, again, I, it's, it's disjointed. It's weird. And as, as Arthur, you know, uh, uh, quoted Mark Kermode. It does not really seem interested in following any rules of what a movie typically is. But I, you know, I'm on board with it more or less. This is a really interesting film, and there's not a lot like it out there. Um, it's a little long in the tooth for sure. Um, th- th- I'll tell you what. Here's here's a. <laughs> I I don't want to talk about. There's one part that I really want to talk about that we can't talk about yet. But uh, I, there was a moment where I started to take notes about Stacy Keach giving an, an intense theological discussion while wearing an SS uniform. Uh, <laughs> and that, that was the moment where I was like, this movie is fucking wild. <laughs> uh, yeah, they just, uh, for context, if you skipped uh, this film, if you skipped the ninth configuration, you're wondering what I'm talking about. Uh, part of Stacey Keach's therapy is letting the uh, the patients play The Great Escape uh, as part of a little role play therapy. So him and the other uh uh, Marines running this hospital have to dress up like Nazis, which is, I, hey, look, I didn't make the movie. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. I didn't make the movie. It is a choice. It's a choice. Uh, what a wild film. Uh, I'm very glad we're talking about it. Uh, I, I want to note that for best screenplay at the 38th annual Golden Globe yeah, Awards, who else is on deck? The ninth configuration beat out The Elephant Man, Whoa. Ordinary People, The Stunt Man, and a little film by the name of Raging Bull. Wow. Oh, well, my. look. And you... then Scott Wilson was nominated for supporting actor. Oh, well, there he you was go. beat out by Timothy Hutton and Ordinary People. Well, you know, there's no way they paid for this Golden Globe. You know, you know, there's no way Blatty, you know, like cheated his way to this Golden Globe because there ain't no money on this movie. <laughs> they, somebody just, there was just a, a good uh, support for this movie. I guess it was shot in Hungary. Maybe that helped the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, obviously not being based in the Maybe. States. Yeah. I mean, that is, this is such a kind of a, especially by today's standards, I guess is kind of the thing we're comparing this to, but yeah, it just feels like an out of nowhere pick for a golden globes run, but a more populist voting body mm-hmm. to kind of go for this more. Yeah. Uh, a movie thing? partially oh, financed. Oh, a little hard house aesthetic, but little not experimental. You know, who, you know who paid for this? Pepsi. Yes, Pepsi I had money that. they had to spend in Hungary, so they were like, "All right, we'll help finance your movie, William Peter Blatty, but you have to make it in Hungary." It would have been better if everybody was drinking Pepsis throughout. <laughs> there's a Pepsi at, machine. That one guy tries oh, the, to exercise. Machine, right? That's, That's right. The yeah. machine at the bar at the end. Yeah, the guy can I get nuns. five scotches and how about a cold, refreshing <laughs> Pepsi? <laughs> yes, it's it's a choice of a new generation. <laughs> <laughs> All the bikers this. are drinking Pepsi. Yeah. 
Oh, my goodness. All right. Well, I think those were our thoughts about uh, initial reactions to the ninth configuration. I'm looking forward to the sequel to 10th configuration uh, whenever it does come out. Um, <laughs> Uh, part two, Electric Boogaloo. Uh, but with that, let's go ahead and move into the next segment of the show, which is expanding the syllabus. Arthur, can you explain that? Uh, yeah, I certainly can do that, Dustin. Expanding the syllabus is a thought experiment wherein we, the host, assemble an academic course or module within a course based around the assigned viewing for the week and adjacent texts from books and articles to tangentially related films and stories. Very good, very good. So that is the assignment. Can you... Achieve it, Mr. Stewart. Go. Talk about me achieving things. I don't, I don't need that pressure. Uh, yeah, I'll achieve something. Here we go. Uh, I, I thought a class that would be interesting as far as you know, trying to, to work with the ninth configuration as a text, I thought a class would be interesting is just looking at uh, mental health and in institutions, uh, both yeah, institutions that are mental health and centric and just dealing with mental health within institutions so we of course look at this film uh we'd look at a film with uh well not to spoil things too much but with a very similar twist uh we'd look at the very pulpy but very fun shutter island um to kind of look for a time period contemporary uh we'd look to girl interrupted uh the the memoir uh, by uh, susan Kaysen, but also the uh the film adaptation by james mangold uh, and we'd look at One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest again for sort of a contemporary look at institutions around this time, you know, civilian mental health institutions in America and what they, what they kind of looked like in the late 60s. Um, you know, we talk about the history of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which would allow us to get into Ken Kesey and MK Ultra, uh, because this, this film does, you know, I don't know how much had been, not really anything was declassified. The only reason we know anything is because of, you know, colleges and academic institutions that took MK Ultra money. But uh, I'm not sure how much should become public knowledge by 1980, but they're just like the setting of a secret military hospital with mental health experiments is very much a thing that went on. I'm thinking the settlement with the family of the guy who went out the window, the the subject of the uh, documentary yeah, series, the Wormwood, Wormwood, that was during the Ford administration that okay. the uh, meeting and thanks or, or, or apology was given. So that would be part, at least that part was declassified. Part of knowledge, yeah, some, by then. Some way. Okay. Uh, we'd also look at a film that I love called The Work, um, a documentary by uh, Jerry Cleary and uh, Gethin Aldis. Uh, it's about a rehab program in Folsom Prison, but it's uh, about three um, civilians, for lack of a better word. I can't think of another way to put it. Three dudes from the outside who go into Folsom Prison and do this this very intensive therapy with guys who are, you know, currently incarcerated and it's, you know, kind of supervised and overseen by dudes who were incarcerated. Um, so really, really interesting documentary uh, that, that deals with... Uh, Prisoners and former prisoners trying to find real rehabilitation within a system that doesn't really allow for rehabilitation. Um, we'd also look at uh, the Destin Daniel Cretton film, uh, Short Term 12, with Brie Larson, kind of deals with group homes uh, for children, you know, adolescent uh, institutions, and what that looks like. Uh, and I think finally, this is a bit of a stretch, but I wanted another military centric. Uh, film. So I'd be looking at The Card Counter by Paul Schrader, uh, the Oscar Isaac movie from last year, because mm -hmm. uh, it deals with both a military prison uh, as far as abuses at Abu Ghraib, uh, but also deals with American military prisons. Uh, you know, uh, oh gosh, I can't think of the name of the one they reference in this film. Uh, but, uh, you know, prisons for, you know, people who committed a crime while they were serving in the U.S. military. So it both deals with uh, American uh, service folk 
keeping guard over our POWs and people who are convicted of crimes. Uh, again, not really about institutions as a card counter, but it's more about how institutions can a- affect a person. Uh, and I think that's valuable for a class like this. So this would be looking at uh, a-, a lot of real uh, and uh, imagined stories about institutions, uh, how they impact mental health, how people navigate uh, being institutionalized, and how, how these places are not always the best setting to to get over uh, the things that bedevil you. Sometimes they can be. Uh, you know, sometimes socialization is, is needed for some folks, but uh, there's a long and shitty history of it uh, not being great, and I think we'd get into that in this class. Very cool, very cool. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton. Sir, Mr. Arthur Gordon, what does your syllabus look like? Uh, I think for me, uh, again, I think the big thing here is is that talkiness of this as these characters sit around this debating big philosophical ideas. And I think about how that drives sword conflict or story or narrative. And so I think what I would do is a section within a screenwriting class on dialogue and, and using that to further story, further conflict uh, without the flashiness of action beats Mm. or story beats like that. Um, So that's what I would do. And, and, I'd probably assign a couple of these movies, but we'd probably just use clips from them because they're all kind of leading to the same idea. But essentially, the watch list here is going to be uh, 12 Angry Men, Good. Rope, Good. Clerks, Great. Um, Top 5 from Chris Rock, yeah, um, and then The Man from Earth. Oh, okay. Have yeah. you seen, yeah. Are you familiar with The Man from Earth? I don't know that one. Uh, so The Man from Earth is a... I, I would call it a philosophical sci-fi film. It's about a group of professors sitting around. One of them is retiring and moving on. Um, and then things come to light over the course of the story about his life. Uh, that seemed a little too unbelievable to be believable, but he backs it up. But um, I think that one I thought about the most from this because of the kind of similar discussions that are taking place uh, throughout. Uh, and, and that one does a really good job of through dialogue, still setting up archetypes that can follow through. So you have the faith person, the atheist, and, and things that will challenge the kind of storyline being developed by the protag uh, within that story. Um, top five, I'd probably talk about the way character and chemistry are built and developed uh, through these simple discussions and also how character is revealed through um, the kind of intertextuality of the choices they are making within their list. Uh, top five is a... Woody Allen-esque movie about Chris Rock and Rosario Dawson, I believe, yeah. uh, walking yeah. around New York and and doing top five lists. Who are your top five comedians, your top five rappers? Yeah. Um, and it's that idea of, you know, the things that we like say a lot about us and uh, and the way that film uses that to kind of develop it in a very talky way in these casual conversations is these characters just meander uh, and live their life around town. Yeah, you could call it Linklater-esque, too, if you don't want to deal with the Woody Allen Yeah, baggage, the before but trilogy. Yeah. But yeah, that's, yeah, 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 yeah. that's what I always thought of when I saw when I first saw yeah. Top 5. I thought a lot about Manhattan, I yeah, think, sure. is where I went. And that's totally fair. I mean, Especially with the photography of New big York. Big-time New York movie, yeah. Um, yeah. Clerks, obviously, I, I think a lot of this kind of plays out the same way. Um, there's not a lot of action here. It's all about Randall and Dante just going back and forth about life and their youth and where they're at in their mm-hmm. in their place in the universe debating star wars instead of hamlet yeah yeah yeah, yeah. uh and then rope obviously is kind of the most philosophical i think of these mm-hmm. of of being a murderer and being a criminal and, and what that looks like and trying to play god and kind of the final uh climactic narrative moment between uh, jimmy stewart and granger is it Har- Farley, Farley granger, granger there yeah, it's Farley granger um 
as as they kind of go back and forth debating this idea. I'm trying to remember the other murderer, the 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 A. His friend. Yeah, the, I don't remember. The don't top. spoil rope for me. <laughs> so, Look, I've never gotten around to it. What are you yeah, gonna do? Yeah, it's been seventy years. You're okay. Um, it's a great movie, though. That's what I hear. And it's good stuff. Anyway, that's what I would do, though. I'd, I'd really focus in on developing dialogue and character moments that are allowed to move the story forward without having to focus on maybe giant set pieces and necessarily not using exposition, uh, but how that stuff can come through uh, subtly or, or through the subtext of Indirect dialogue. Characterization, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's great. I love it. That's a very, very good syllabus as well. What are you Mr. thinking? Gordon. I am thinking the holy fool in cinema. Okay. Um, that that line between yeah. uh, madness and connection to the divine. This character shows up in anime a lot too. I feel like I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but I would look at you know, mostly Western cinema for this, and I begin with a French film uh, that we've actually done this very year, which is Carl Theodore Dreyer's uh, The Passion of Joan of Arc. Um, because Joan sees visions, and she is driven by those visions against the strictures of the rest of culture around her. So that would be one place I would go. The next place I would go is a Russian film, The Island from 2006, in which a man washes up on a shore with amnesia. He is quite strange, and he is also quite devout, and maybe does some miracles? Question mark, and uh, that's interesting. There, Happy as Lazaro, an Italian film. I've heard of this. One. Would also make its way. Maybe in... just because you've mentioned it before. I may have mentioned it before. I think it made my top five uh, the year it came out. Oh no, fifteen, sixteen. I don't know. Oh wow. Okay, we we were doing top ten lists. I think. I think at, that, at point. that point, I feel like it made a top ten list for me at one point in my life. Um, but anyhow, I don't even know the year of it. But it's an Italian film, and this is a uh, young man who has uh, perhaps slept for a very, very long time, wakes up with amnesia, and may have been actually from a generation past. Uh, so a little Rip Van Winkle, a little time travel, a little bit of... We should all be so lucky. Childlike um, naivete. <laughs> and uh, he uh, counsels for better wisdom, I think. Mm-hmm. But as also just goofy as all get out. Forrest Gump is also a holy fool. Sure. Uh, okay. Right. All right. And uh, giving guidance, I, and it's just an interesting text to wrestle with. Mm-hmm. I know? think so because yeah, the 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 whole representation. It's just a of, confounding movie. It, it is, and uh, I wanted to, I want to have something that's sort of like offbeat there for that, and so I think Forrest Gump applies there, and then finally the ninth configuration in which uh, many of our Say characters, a couple of holy fools, <laughs> a couple of holy fools, maybe nothing but holy fools, uh, in uh, the course of the film uh, helps us wrestle with uh, questions of good and evil and right and wrong, etc., so on and so forth. So there you go, dear friends. Your syllabus just got much longer. I believe now is the time we get down to wrestling. I mean, get down to business. Yes, indeed, and that business is not professional wrestling. Rather, it, I'm just giving Arthur a hard time, uh, is rather we are going to talk about analysis of the film The Ninth Configuration. Well, uh, go you, ahead. I, I was really thinking, I need to defer on this one. I mean, I've got, I'm ready to rock. Yeah. I've got lots I can say about lots of things, but I'm not organized I want to start somewhere you were just left off. 
this idea that maybe everybody's a holy fool. And that's what Jason Miller sort of asserts. His character has a, a long sequence where he's talking about Hamlet and, uh, or no, maybe is it Scott Wilson? Uh, is Jason it Miller's got the speech about pretending madness to, okay. to, you to exactly stave off yeah, madness. You knew yeah. exactly the scene I was talking about. Yeah. He, his character, uh, the guy that's trying to stage the Hamlet with Doc's performances, uh, his <laughs> great idea. He gives his, his thesis. On, I would watch it. Oh yeah. I oh, would yeah. buy tickets. Hamlet with night. dogs. Come on. Uh, Are we doing like a Homeward Bound dogs? Are they gonna like talk dialogue? I, I hope so. I, I mean, that's I hope. A, I want a basset hound, you know. But it's a stage play, so the actors are somewhere in the auditorium or in the theater. Yeah, throwing their voices. Yeah, yeah, doing doing a little ADR with highly highly advanced dog stage hands in black outfits are running out to put peanut butter in the dog's mouth, so they're yeah. like. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, he's he's got this scene where he gives his thesis on Hamlet, which is that Hamlet is pretending to be mad so he doesn't go mad. And he, that is sort of the subtext of the scene, of course, being that that is what everybody is doing here is that they're all on the verge of losing their minds and they're they're acting out so that they don't. And I, I think that's a, kind of an interesting thesis for the movie to have. I think it's interesting for this of, of the text that this film uses. Of course, it, you know, it kind of uses a lot of you know, religious symbols, uh, use a lot of theology, but it, again, it uses Hamlet a lot to mm-hmm. kind of get its points across, which is, you know, I, I is it a little English one one Yeah, but also who gives a shit? Like, Hamlet's good. There's a reason people reference it all the time. Well, that and dialoguing that Hamlet bit with Spellbound, which has a uh, Shakespeare reference at the first end of it. Um, at, at, there's an epigraph of Shakespeare for Spellbound, uh, oh, yeah. the Gregory Peck film, okay. and also you know just other sort of movie references that which which play a big deal as well. I'll, was... I'll, I'll say more about Spellbound is about a, uh, a Gregory Peck's character is actually uh, in need of treatment and he doesn't know and he arrives amnesiac at an, a mental health mm. asylum and takes the job as the director of it alongside uh, the real psychologist, Inger Bergman. Gotcha. Um, very similar to this movie. Okay. Very, very similar to this movie. Like, they, they they telegraph that, yeah. That's pretty cool. That's fun. Hmm. Uh, I guess we could go on. If you didn't uh, watch The Ninth Configuration before listening to this, we'll go ahead and throw off the, the ruse. Uh, obviously, we've already referenced Shutter Island. Dustin just referenced Spellbound. Uh, it turns out that uh, Stacy Keach is not the administrator. He's a patient, he was never a psychiatrist. It was the, the the doctor, the medic of the facility was the actual psychiatrist the whole time, and it was his brother, and he was the war criminal. Uh, not Haley uh, from Parts Unknown, it's the Killer Kane. <laughs> it does sound like a, <laughs> it does sound like a pro wrestler uh, name. Absolutely yeah. does. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that's I don't know. I think that twist works. I, I did mm-hmm. not expect it to, but when it when it's revealed, I'm like, okay, sure, I can go with this. It kind of it made. It fit with the rest of the movie's sort of melodramatic tone. I wondered at it for a long time. And I, again, I wonder an editing question, though, as uh, there's this sort of discussion when uh, they both go off the reservation, both the astronaut and uh, Colonel Kane go off the reservation. And, you know, they're having their conflict in the bar. And there's this assembly with uh, the doctor that actually is his brother alongside yeah. with some of the other The staff. real Hudson Kane. The real, yeah, the, the rest of the staff. And they're talking about what to... Uh, What's going on? And he reveals that he actually is the same person. He's had this, um, you know, separation of um, character or of a uh, personality and whatnot. Do you guys think? Because I, I thought, wouldn't this have been better to have been revealed after they got back from the bar rather than before? Well, it's after they go to the church. It's after they go to the church. It's before the bar. It, is, it was during the. It's like kind of sort of intercut. It, yeah, it's, I recall. That's my recollection as well. It's like as, as they're getting back from the bar. Or maybe yeah, it's it it's seemed late. like it was a little early, and I thought they should have waited one one or two more scenes further this before is, they revealed. They it. go to the church, they come back, and that's when he sees 
that the guy. other soldier who recognizes him as Killer Kane. Yeah. Does okay. he give it away? He then? passes out. Cut to them conferencing. Oh, does he gives it away in that the early. psycho style? That's right. It see, is before the bar. See, that's way early now. Yeah. yeah. And, and I would much rather it happen after the bar. Well, it's pretty I, heavily alluded to right when he and what's the brother? The brother? What's the brother's name? Uh, they're both Kane, uh, Hudson and Hudson. Vincent. Hudson. Hudson and Vincent. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when they're having that talk, he's like, your twin brother. He's like, no, no, no. Like, okay. So the pieces are yeah. here that you're probably the killer yourself. Ned Flanders is so good in this, by the way. Mm-hmm. Ned Flanders. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, Heidi Hody there, I guess there Mr. He, Kane. He goes by Richard Fell for Colonel Richard yeah. Fell for most of the movie. Yeah. But yeah, he's revealed to be Hudson Kane late. But yeah, yeah he's, you're right. And that, that scene, Arthur, where he's talking to him about his brother and, uh, you know, the camera like ling- lingers on him getting really yeah. upset after that. Com- yeah, and he cries after. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and again, we're, we're led to believe it's because he, he knew the Vincent Kane. Um, yeah, it's, again, it, it, the movie works as far as alluding to or, kind of foreshadowing what's going to be revealed uh you know it doesn't it doesn't cheat with its its twist really yeah well even the hamlet you know we're playing matt i mean that also kind of Mm -hmm. he's playing the role as well of Mm -hmm. sanity oh well yeah yeah i mean that's that's something that's called into question very early on is whether or not this new hospital uh psychiatrist is is fully sane or not yeah and the fact that he play, meets somebody else playing Doctor upon his arrival is another yeah. little moment. Really fun. Mm-hmm. Really yeah. fun. A lot of misdirection in that. Yeah. Really kind of sidetrack there. Yeah. Really. But I would just I would just, I thought about it just in terms of editing. Like I would I would rather that scene happen later. That was it, all. It's well, it's again, it, it is sort of this movie's a little disjointed. Mm-hmm. Uh, for for all the things that work about it, there there is sort of a weird structure to it mm-hmm. uh again it, it, this twist works really well but when it's revealed when this information is kind of parsed out hey you know there's a couple of very interesting places you could reveal this information and it's yeah, as you said it's kind of it's kind of weird how it doles that out mm-hmm. um we've talked a little bit about the performances um i think we're all kind of hit and miss on everybody i guess i i kind of like what's going on in the bar you think it's a little too big yeah um I think it works for how how it works to make them like hyper evil to me mm-hmm. uh, because we've dealt you know so much of the of the movies dealt with the problem of evil in the world and to make them just be super freaking evil. Uh, I guess it lets Kane off the hook for killing them a little bit too much, maybe. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know. I kind of it becomes it, justified redemptive violence. And yeah. I, yeah. And, I, and I'm bothered by that, especially yeah. in light of I mean, because it is very much about him turning the other cheek for the longest time, and then yeah. it's like. You've unleashed the killer in me. The beast has awakened. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the smash. It's kind of the thing you're waiting for, but also, I, I don't know if the other thing is not the more. More interesting choice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, I mean, look, the, the guy's face as he gets the, the beer mug smashed in his hand is like incredible. It's a great moment mm-hmm. of acting for everybody involved, but yeah, I, I don't his know if it's. Hardcore most... eyeliner is. Uh, yeah, I love it. His His cat wings. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my gosh. I love it. He's come from a Kiss concert. What yeah. are we doing, bro? I'm a huge, <laughs> huge fan of Evil Biker Guy. Yeah, love it with his mullet and his uh, no shirt. Yeah, huge fan. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, the ports of this movie are are kind of nutty, and I, I appreciate that. Like Scott Wilson is all over the map in his performance, and like it works. I would say, you know, eight times out of ten, he's pretty much locked in in every scene. Uh, but then there's other people who are just like going a little too big with their their sort of depiction of being mentally unwell and it it hurts the movie for me mm. you know it, it makes it 
not be as funny as I think the movie wants to be. It's it's like it, it's there are moments where it feels like it's wanting to have its cake and eat it too, vis-a-vis like how it's portraying these people. Um, so I, I guess I find that aspect of the the unevenness of the performances really works against the film uh, a, a lot for me, especially in the, the early goings. Yeah, I mean I, that part, especially the dialogue, really does work for me. I I, I think it's just hilarious and yeah. just how how very Bugs Bunny. Um, and what I mean by Bugs Bunny is just so pop culture, just so referential, sure. you know, throughout. And I I just I really enjoy that about that and how those pieces sort of manage to fit together. Um. Now moving in, I mean, we—I guess we go and talk about it now. This whole, uh, this sort of concluding statement about uh, what Kane's character was—he wasn't a patient here. He wasn't a killer. He was a lamb. I mean, that's really, you know, one of the big kind of crux moments theologically in the film, mm-hmm. um, and that uh, because he chooses violence in the bar and then opts for suicide rather than for you know, dying at the hands of the bikers, right? It, it, yeah. Like, I, I, I do feel like there are ways in which um, the apostateness of Blatty is coming out here a little bit. Like, let's, let's stick a thumb in the eye of, uh, of mm. the Catholic Church and yeah. let's make suicide the noble act here that sort of brings healing to um, Scott Wilson's character. Which is a weird choice. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't really make sense for me at all. Yeah. As far, I, you know, I... I get what the movie's trying to do, uh, and again, it doesn't want to let Kane off the hook for killing an entire biker gang. Uh, it doesn't want to like totally let him off the hook. I think that that has a lot to do with that that choice for him to die by suicide. But yeah, to, as far as it being the thing that brings Scott uh, Wilson's character back from you know the edge of madness, the thing that makes him you know be able to to function out in the quote unquote real world again. I don't know, man. Like the guy, the guy like lost it on the launch pad because going to space is existentially horrifying. Mm-hmm. I get it. I totally get why he was, did not want to go to space. But for him, and again, he's his scenes about the loneliness of space, like just freaking him out, like really well delivered. But for that act of suicide to be the thing that you know helps him anchors turn, him turn back on, yeah. like it just I don't know, it doesn't work for me dramatically. Yeah, it. it, it I mean, it's it's weird because I mean. The, I want it to work. The, the allegorical way in which it works is that the bikers are the Romans, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah. You know, that's the allegorical choice. And, I mean, at, you know, C.S. Lewis's, you know, critique, or not C.S. Lewis's, uh, J.R.R. Tolkien's critique of allegory as a bit too ham-fisted is valid. And so to not go at it that way is, I think, fine. But then to turn it around into, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to check out right now while I'm talking to you, you know, I guess surreptitiously... I don't know the mechanics of doing this particular. Yeah, the, trigger warnings up, of yeah. discussion of suicide. Thank, you. Thank friends. you. Yeah, we should have gotten. That. Gosh, we should. Yeah, done we that. really dropped the ball on that. Sorry, listeners. Sorry, sorry, listeners. But that it's just sort of wonky. How do you? Yeah. How do you? Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't make sense from sort of a scene. Let's to, to put it without getting too gross. Uh, the scene blocking doesn't really work. Yeah. That the makes your mind question the mechanics of what just took place in that room. Correct. And that's not something you should ever be wondering about in the movie. Right. It, it shouldn't occur to you. And that's sort of, again, as Mark Kermode talked about, that is sort of one of the big problems with this movie is it it doesn't know a lot of rules. There's a lot of rules it's not concerned. I mean, the man only, what, did the, did the Ninth Configuration lately in uh, Legion or Exorcist 3. That's like, those are the only movies Blatty directed, right? Yeah, and this I think is the de- debut. Yeah, this is the first film yeah. he ever directed, as far as like, yeah, was able. Well, first able student to find. film is pretty good. Yeah, I mean that's what I'm saying. It, it, <laughs> it is, is a student film. Yeah, the dude <laughs> was just kind of going in, 
trying to make a weird movie. I've uh, seen much worse student films. You know, he wanted to make this with um, Friedkin mm-hmm. before Exorcist, yeah. which I thought was really interesting that they, they had tried to get this made uh, and just couldn't sell it. Yeah. People didn't get it. And I get why people didn't get it. It's weird. Well, yeah, it's this existential one flew over the cuckoo's nest, but with like 2001 A Space Odyssey kind of uh, existential yeah. exploration. I mean, that is that's hard to market. Yeah. I mean, absolutely it is. Um, so, you know, that that's fine. We're uh, talking about the, the kind of final notes of violence in this film, and I do want to backpedal, you know, pre-active suicide to the, the bar fight. I think what makes it work for me is that even though it does end up kind of coming across as this redemptive act of violence, which is, you know, kind of boring and unfortunate. It's his failure. Yeah, it, it does. It, it is such a graphic act. Like, it, it, it lingers on the dead. It you know, the camera lingers on the dead, I mean. Um, and, and every attack against one of the bikers is depicted as, like, monstrous. Like, mm-hmm. it's it's not cool. It's not a cool fight. It is, like, one dude, like, really wrecking house. And it doesn't want you to think that it's awesome. Yeah, and I, I do think that the intention he's, of the he's moment... He's scary. It, yeah, he's scary, and this moment is his moment of failure. Yeah. I, I think is what the movie wants it to be. Mm-hmm. I'm not quite sure... It plays that way to audiences. I think you're right. And I think that's, yeah, I, I, for me, that's where the movie wants it to go. And it, it more or less sells the idea. But I'm with you that it, I think it struggles under its own weight. To, it struggles under the weight of like redemptive violence narratives. Like mm-hmm. it just can't quite get out from under that. Right. And so, yeah, that 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 troubles it. Um, uh, shall we discuss the Odyssey in, in terms of how the film handles it? I don't know if we want to. The problem of evil in the world. Um, and the various responses. I mean, this is what Scott Wilson's uh, character is really wrestling with, Mm -hmm. um, this idea that how can um, there be a god, the Bigfoot, which is uh, a hilarious bit. Yeah. Um, And... uh, That's got to be a Python reference, right? It it seems like it ought to be, right? (laughs) Right? I'm seeing that that animation right Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Holy Grail. Yeah. Yeah. You know, exactly the one. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. I know. That's what it felt like. Even though the original novel this is based on was published in like the late 60s, like happening in 1980, the movie sure seems like it's revised. But it had been revised. Exactly. Yeah. So there's a chance he had... He, yeah, he punched up the dialogue. Yeah, I would, I would, I would assume that he has. Well, and then there's a screenplay version. So he's, you know, wrote this story uh, quite a few times. Yeah, it's really something that's stuck in his brain, obviously. But um, the idea that it seems to be the answer to the problem of evil is not to solve it, square the circle as to why this, if God can, why doesn't God? Um, it is to appreciate goodness, right? Which is, I, I, I think, about the only place one can go. You know, in any sort of idea of divine intelligence, benevolent intelligence mm. in the universe, um, if one's going to go in that direction, um, it is not the problem of evil that gets you away from it. It's the problem of good that keeps you there, if that makes sense. That seems to be the general construct there. And I mean, I find that argument generally persuasive unless you happen to be in the valley. And then it's not any use at all. No, right? I, I, I think you're right. I think that seems to be where where Blatty's like arguing from mm-hmm. is that the the goodness of people, including Kane, Kane's desire to help these guys and really understand them and empathize with them uh, after being a war criminal. It's like this this redemptive act of trying to be a healer, you know, speaks to people's goodness. But I, yeah, if you're if you're really going through it, that didn't that didn't do shit for you, right? And why should it? Yeah. Uh, so I. I, I 
to me, not the most compelling argument in the world. Yeah, uh, I, 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 I do I tend go. to agree. I mean, I, I think in like sort of a detached, you know, either neutral state of mm. life or of affairs or even a positive state of life and affairs, you go, yeah, here's the thing. Yes, there are. You know, we had a crazy week this last week in Oklahoma and in, well, a couple of universities. We had a couple of van accidents uh, involving golf teams. Yeah. And um, young people dying. Oh, uh, God. I have no idea. Desperately, mm. desperately sad situation. The Tishomingo incident. Tishomingo, yeah. Oklahoma, and then uh, University of the Southwest in New Mexico. Um, both lost nearly their entire golf teams My in, God. in van accidents. And you go, well, that's awful. And where's God in all of that? You know, and, and that's, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's it's cold comfort there. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. But the idea, if the universe is entirely random and human beings have no um, compass pointing north, then it is sort of as miraculous that anything good ever happens. Well, and that is a moment where the, I think the film sells this idea, right? Is mm-hmm. is Scott Wilson's character um, Cutshaw? I keep I can't couldn't remember that for the life of me. This entire time we've been talking, Cutshaw. Cutshaw has one of those moments where he talks about like the 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 ninth configuration the unlikelihood of and maybe it's even Kane's dream sequence to thinking about Cutshaw talking to him mm-hmm. but they the film alludes to this idea right like the science can be as compelling as as any faith right mm-hmm. and I, you know I think the film does a good job of selling that like because there's still yeah, miracle involved yeah if, if it's all random then it that's a miracle and that anybody does anything that's not self-serving ever is a miracle but mm-hmm. I, I think the film does have a compelling moment where Cutshaw goes all right you've Give me uh, some anecdotes of people doing good things. Name me one thing that you know of personally. And he is sort of stopped dead in his tracks by that, which I think is is, is an interesting moment. Which I thought was one of the dullest moments in the movie. Really? Okay. Because I thought, well, yeah. I mean, anytime anyone picks up a sick dog on the side of the road. Sure. I mean, you know, and I do have personal experience with that. And I know a hundred people with personal experience doing that, you know? I mean, I, I, to his his inability to come up with a story of like, well, yeah, my 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 brother, you know, yeah. um, um, adopted a kid. Uh, his psyche is pretty shattered. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And <laughs> so I mean, it makes sense that he can't recall that he can't any recall nice that. things. But as I but as I, I thought about that question, like, how hard is it for you to say, well, yeah, my 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 you know my grandmother raised you know this set of grandkids. Gotcha. You know, like, yeah. like, everyone's got like a hundred stories for that kind of thing, and I just went, that's. That's a failing there of creativity on the part of the, um, perhaps the ideology of the uh, screenwriter was unable to sort of see past that. Well, I think it also is kind of where we are at that moment in the movie. Yeah. We are sort of at the middle way point where they're really getting into the weeds with their conversations. Mm-hmm. So it is it is a moment where it makes sense for him to kind of fail. Yeah, as if a, if, as if he's vapor locking, that's one thing. I mean, I, I guess I get that. But I didn't quite get the idea of vapor locking is that he didn't have any. Vapor locking? What do you mean? Uh, d- to vapor lock in that um, you've asked me a question, I'm on the spot, it would be on the tip of my tongue, but I cannot think of the answer to your gotcha. question gotcha. kind of okay. thing. And so, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I, I think it's useful that uh, Wilson's character, Cutshaw, references, you know, American war atrocities like the A-bomb. I think mm-hmm. that that's, like, useful for the film's wrestling, right? It is dealing with specifically m- the mental health issues of veterans. Uh, and, and so to reference the the deeds of the employer of these these military personnel... Um, I think it's useful just mm-hmm. just to as far as like philosophical questions for this movie to ask. It doesn't really do anything with that. Right. Uh, other than, you know, I guess the closest it comes to doing anything with that is to specifically make Kane a war criminal. Right. Um, which is an interesting choice. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, it's it's definitely wrestling with these big these big questions. Does it ever 
I don't know if it ever like really concretely does anything for me though, as far as, yeah. you know, it, it has this very, I, it, it doesn't, as we said, it doesn't fall into any life is for living, you know, overly schmaltzy traps, but it does like allow uh, Kane to confirm for Cutshaw that there's an afterlife by materializing a, a St. Christopher medallion for him, which is a, a weird moment goes out on a still freeze frame. Uh, very eighties, <laughs> very eighties. Uh, yes especially early eighties. Um, I don't know. It doesn't work for me, even though I kind of like a lot of the things that lead up to that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's weird, weird choices get made throughout this. And I think the, the home stretch is where some of the weirdest things take place. Yeah. Uh, does it, does it do anything for either of you as far as, I mean, I kind of like the idea. It's nice. You know, they have this pact about trying to send confirmation of, of another side, but it, I don't know. It, it's sort of part of this movie's deal is accepting that there is goodness in the world when you could accept the opposite. Right. Right. That in, in the end, it always is a choice of faith. Yeah. It, yeah. It's a choice to believe that the, the moral arc of the universe bends towards justice versus that, you know, we're all fucked. Uh, and, and for the movie to like make the answer be that easy in the final moments, I don't know. It rings a little false for me as far as what precedes it. Yeah. I, I mean, I did feel like it was a little easy and unearned. Yeah. yeah. But it's, it, which Again, I think it's one of the only moments where the movie does fall short that much as far as it's it's questioning. It's a pretty bad place to do it at, yeah, though. <laughs> the home stretch is kind of where you really want to stick the landing. But, uh, you know, it's it's also like so weird to it. You can't you kind of ha- have to like it because it is so weird. Mm-hmm. Totally it fits. Yeah. 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 It, it really does bring things home uh, as far as the detour into the very dark. Uh, it kind of wraps it around to being a little bit more. Uh, open-hearted, I guess. Mm. Are there any other major big thoughts, thematics, or otherwise? No, I just want to reiterate the debates about theology while people are wearing Nazi uniforms is that's cinema. <laughs> that's that's, that's cinema, baby. That's something, yeah. That's movies. I don't, I don't know what that means, and I I don't know if I will be here to the end of time trying to figure out that one, but. It's something. It, it well, is. if you die before, send back confirmation. Yeah. <laughs> I'll let you know when I get to the other side. I mean, uh, you, you, question number one. Send why back. is there evil in the world? Question number two. Where's Blatty? What, I what the <laughs> fuck is up with this part of the ninth configuration? Just don't send any iron crosses. That's all yeah. I, I can guarantee it. Okay. Well, let's go ahead and render a verdict then, shall we, on uh, the ninth configuration. What shall we say? Shelf or trash? I go to you first. Arthur. Um... Yeah, I'm going to trash this one, I think. Maybe gently. I'll say gently trash, but uh, outside of some of the, uh, I, I think, fun in the first hour, so I don't know if this really does too much for me at the end of the day. So, All right. Thank you very much. What do you say, Dalton? I don't know. I don't like it nearly as much as I like Exorcist 3, which I do think kind of fucks. <laughs> I think that movie's pretty good. Uh this is this is a weird one. I am not gonna trash it. Be I don't want to take this movie away from Mark Kermode. I feel bad. Uh, That's already on his shelf. Yeah, exactly. That's like so you're not taking it from him. I'm, yeah, I'm not gonna like borrow it from Mark Kermode. Exactly. You're not it's, robbing it from his house to throw it in a trash can. Yeah, yeah. I'm not destroying. <laughs> I'm not want to that dis- mad at yeah, it. <laughs> I'm not that kind of trashing it. I don't want to destroy it from existence. If I, it should be on other people's shelves, it's never gonna be on mine. <laughs> <laughs> it's on canopy. That's a good place for it to live. I think I like it more than The Exorcist 3. 
Wow. I, well, Arthur kind of did too. He just uh, doesn't like either of them that much. <laughs> there, there it is. No, I well, and I and I, I like the Exorcist three okay, and yeah. so I think I'm going to shelf it. Okay. I, I I I think it might be doing a better job of asking some questions. I'm not sure it does a very good job of providing any answers, but I think its interrogation is uh, pretty useful and helpful, and so I like a lot of that. Um, though again, I'm a little dubious about the ways in which it tries to sort of move beyond whatever um, set of questions to mm. some place constructive with that. So uh, I, w- I would gently barely shelf it, is what I'm going to say. Well, that's been our conversation on the ninth configuration. Thank you again, Brigham, Thanks, Brigham. for being a patron and for picking this movie for us. Yeah. Uh, if you want to keep the conversation going, Arthur, where, where and how could the listener do that <laughs> if they wanted to keep talking to us? Uh, you can find us over on Twitter if you live in that hellscape. Uh, it is uh, uh, Good Trash Media. Uh, that's our handle. You can follow us. Uh, we occasionally post. Uh, I don't really get on Twitter much anymore. So No, we're both trying to stay off of there, so we're not Occasionally I throw the episode on there and retweet a few things, and I'm gone for Speaking another week. of the problem of evil. Just yeah, exactly. Golly. Try not to wade through the posting wars too much. Uh, you can also uh, send us long-form feedback if uh, we have dishonored uh, the great Blatty's uh, ninth configuration. You can uh, shoot us one of those at goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com. Uh, you can always find our friends of the show. Uh, that's uh, the praise down, uh, the will of Randy, bad girls die first, etc. cetera. Uh, we, we share their content. Uh, you can find them through us. Have some fun that way. Uh, otherwise, uh, rate, review, do the whole thing. It's a podcast. You want me to send you a random movie every once in a while? You can go to patreon.com forward slash GTM. Do that. Help us keep the lights on, but we don't ask for much. So, I mean, you can also listen to several arcs of an actual play tabletop podcast that never ended. No ending, but several fully closed arcs. Just like life. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Much yep. like life, it is ambiguous and without final answers. So there you have it. Well, that's how you can keep the conversation going. Thank okay, you, Arthur. Sounds good. Well, hey, Dalton, what are we watching next? Well, <laughs> next week, we're going to be doing a little film from a little guy called Enemy by the one and only... Uh, Quebec's very own Denis Villeneuve, uh, known for big worms and and big spaceships. Uh, he made another movie with big spiders before he did that. So that's what we're going to watch, Enemy, uh, with Jake Gyllenhaal. Uh, a, a movie that I've been dying to catch up with for years. So I'm very glad we're going to be watching it for the show. I think it'll be a, a fun excuse to check that one out because it's... It sort of marks a, a changing point in his career, right? He's got this this whole French-Canadian career that he does, and then, boom, he does Prisoners and Enemy in the same year. Yeah. And that is sort of his, his segue Transition. into American filmmaking. So yeah. I love Prisoners, so I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, same year. Weird stuff. So, all right, there you go, dear listener. You keep watching. We'll keep talking, and we'll see you all next time.